You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. Okay, guys, welcome to the Choose I radio podcast. Today, we have a long-awaited or maybe long-delayed episode, depending on your perspective and what side of the mic you're on. You have asked us for close to six months to bring our spouses on the podcast, to get their perspective, to have them reveal the dirt, to show where we're really following the line and where we deviate, and to find out what does this path look like from the other side. And while I alluded to the fact that we delayed this as long as possible, we decided that this actually is an extremely valuable and important perspective, and it has to be part of the conversation. So today on the show, for the first time, we have Danny and Laura, our spouses, coming on to share what this journey has looked like for them. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan, I'm doing great. Yeah, this is, like you said, long awaited. Obviously, we're, we're kind of tongue in cheek here with the long delayed, but this should be fun. It should be a really good conversation. I'm interested to learn what Danny has to say. And frankly, I'm interested in learning what Laura has to say to see if uh, maybe exactly how I describe it isn't what's the case in her own mind. So yeah, it should be really a fun conversation. And with that, Danny and Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Good to be on the show. I mean, Brad may have said he was kidding. I'm a little bit nervous. I, I truly don't know exactly where this conversation is go. There, there's no amount of prep that can get you ready to have your spouse come on and basically share exactly what things are like behind the scenes. So what we did to set this episode up is we basically put it out to our community. This is an episode you want. Well, we don't want to just dictate the conversation. We want to know what questions do you want us to ask? And with over a hundred different questions that were posted in this thread, we are going to hopefully highlight some of the common themes and nip into this. Jonathan, I think we get right into it with Holly's question, which is, what did you learn growing up about personal finance? Are you a natural saver? Were you good with money before you met your husband? Did you invest before you met your husband? What made Fi click for you? Was it an article, podcast, story, or your husband's enthusiasm? So obviously there's a lot there, but Danny, if you don't mind, let's get this started. I would say that going into our marriage, I was definitely a natural saver. I was privileged enough to grow up in a family where I didn't want for anything. I did, however, watch my father save but I was never taught how to save other than having a small stipend of money, pocket money. That being said, I naturally saved and was naturally frugal. And I would agree with your perspective. You are a very frugal person. Part of that is your upbringing. Is that part of that is the society and culture in which you grew up in? But it was more of the defensive game as opposed to maybe looking at some of the opportunities that were available for both income growth and using the tax code. Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. I sat on the sidelines. In Zimbabwe, we have a great, what I say, secondhand value on items. The, the first thing that comes to mind is vehicles. I assumed that everyone owned these cars that cost thirty dollars to $60,000. It was only several years after being here and actually having to pay for my own vehicle 
that I realized that that was not the case. Everyone was just, quote unquote, affording the payments. And that contrast is mind-blowing, crazy. We don't have financing in Zimbabwe. If you do not have the money to pay for the vehicle, you don't have the vehicle. I'm not holding Zimbabwe up Southern Africa to be this beacon of we've got it all figured out financially. We've got a 90% unemployment rate. But what I am saying is that this keep up with the Joneses mentality takes on a whole new meaning when credit is so easy. You can finance everything. Your car, your couch, your blinds. It doesn't matter how small it is. It can be financed. What about you, Laura? What is what does your background look like and how does that compare to Brad? So I've always been naturally frugal and a natural saver, which I probably got from my parents. I grew up having everything a kid needs or wants, but my parents worked very hard to make that happen. Many years, my dad actually worked two jobs, waitering at night and his regular job during the day, which at one point was a teacher. Then he went to law school. At that time, he was going to law school and working at night to support that. My mom worked full-time as a teacher most of my childhood, taking a few years off here and there when my sisters were born. I think that really showed me the value of hard work and being frugal. They then, however, both did go through career changes around the time I was in college that essentially doubled their income. So that was rather impressive by them and was able to get them to retire earlier. Uh, My dad was just constantly always building new skills and adding new degrees that enabled him to switch careers to a more lucrative profession at that point. So me personally, in high school and college, I had small jobs, say, at a bagel shop and waitressing where... Pretty much every dollar I made, I kept little bits for expenses and the rest I was always saving. My first real job was as an accountant where I met Brad. You know, I was making a pretty good income then for a college grad. And I put automatically 10% into my 401k, which could have been a lot higher since I was living at home. But I didn't know then. I wasn't as financially savvy as now. So um, I would put that in the 401k and then paid off. I had a little car payment and a little bit of student loans. So I pretty much very aggressively paid those down. And every other dollar was just going into an online savings account just to build up a nest egg. That's an incredible, almost second generation FI conversation. So much of what you were highlighting of what they did, the choices they made are the same concepts that we're hopefully instilling in our own children. I mean, can you, if you were to look back at that 20 year period that you were seeing them model this behavior, what were the biggest takeaways for you? I mean, I guess I would just say overall hard work. I mean, my dad never stopped. He was always trying to earn extra money to provide for his family in the best way he knew possible. And when he realized that going to law school would get him a better profession and be able to bring in a a higher income, he paid for that by working at night. So he was always busy, but he was also always around when we needed him to be around. He carved out time for everyone. But um, I would say I just learned the power of hard work. And then I felt like they really had earned it when they got themselves into into these other positions where they were finally making better salaries and were able to do more of what they wanted to do and get themselves into the places they wanted to be at that stage in their lives. Danny, I'm curious. I, I have a couple of questions, certainly about your upbringing. How did growing up in Africa differ from, I guess, what a typical upbringing here in the States would be? One thing that definitely kind of stood out when I was listening to Laura and having a job as an adolescent, there was a a, a very big difference. There wasn't that demand, there wasn't that surplus of jobs. And so you had your 40 to 60-year-olds jumping into those jobs that you might hear in the United States have some of your adolescents doing. 
So I will be very honest. I did not have a job until I was 19. I watched others doing it. I did things for my family. I did chores. I mowed the lawn. I did that kind of thing. But I did not have a waitressing job or particularly mow someone else's lawn. Someone was getting hired to do that. That might have been between that 40 to 60 uh, age bracket. And let's put some context in that. Zimbabwe has a 90 plus percent unemployment rate. So jobs are incredibly hard to come by. And in particular, some of those entry-level jobs that you're alluding to just, just simply aren't available. Absolutely. Danny, I'm curious. So you said your father was a saver and you, you watched and learned from him. So when you got your first job, which I believe was, was here in the U S did you save money? Do you have any sense of what your savings rate was and like where you put that money? So I was fortunate enough to get a full scholarship to the university of Richmond. I was a division one field hockey athlete. This was amazing. But it also complicated my life significantly. Because I'd gotten a full ride, my parents were extremely happy to support me with some extra money while I was here. But it was slightly more complicated than that because I was an international student athlete and so I was here on an F1 visa, which meant my job was to play hockey as well as getting a good degree. It didn't leave that much time aside from the academics, but I also had a few more restrictions on me as an international athlete. I could only go ahead and work post-undergrad. And one thing that happened that at the time was bad, but looking back, I am very fortunate, having actually met Jonathan in that year, is that I tore my ACL in my freshman year of college. And so I might have not been able to save, but I feel as though I took advantage and with that extra year, took advantage of what that year afforded me. I was able to go ahead playing that redshirt fifth year and start my master's program for my teaching degree, which then allowed me to move from that F1 visa status. And I was able to then work uh, after my student teaching for 20 hours a week. And as I think about it, this was a really interesting time in my life for me because I had been dependent on my parents and When I started even the small job that allowed me to work 20 hours a week, for the first time in my life, quote unquote, I was financially independent. Obviously, not in the way we talk about financial independence on this show. And for the first time in my life, I wasn't dependent on them. And there was a thrill that came from doing things on my own and realizing that I was providing for me. No, I think it's one of those things to add in context that she married me and I'm rapidly interested in personal finance and financial independence, but she's marrying me. And at the time she's marrying me, she's going from basically having a just, you know, a net positive, uh, mean net positive, having a positive net worth to now suddenly saddling herself with $168,000 in student loan debt with a guy that's like, yeah, financial independence is amazing. We need to do this. But hey, by the way, I've got six figures of student loan debt. Yeah, I think it made her a little nervous, didn't it? A little might be an understatement. Uh, When we first got engaged, Jonathan actually came to me with the proposal of joining our finances. And I'm going to be very honest here. I said no. (laughs) I had no debt. I viewed money as, you know, you, you, you have it or you don't have it. And if you don't have it, you don't spend it. And so I was very nervous. <laughs> he came to me. I can actually remember exactly where I was. I can remember the time. Um, it was an evening conversation. And I think he was kind of aghast and put off <laughs> when I said, no, no. I, um, how about we join finances 
when we move into a home together, I do not want to be involved in yours prior to that. Brad, it's economies of scale. <laughs> yeah, I certainly get it, Jonathan. But, but yeah, if I was Danny, I wouldn't want the uh, the stone that was Jonathan's dead hanging around my neck either, right? What about you guys? What was that like when you started to to merge your finances? Well, we pretty much merged our finances, I'd say, right when we got engaged. Um, we were both on the same path financially pretty much since we met. And um, we had both saved money that we had just sitting in our online savings accounts. We started both paying for different things. Brad had an apartment at that point, so I started maybe paying for other things. So at that point, we were planning our wedding, and he had an apartment that he lived in. So if he was paying for some things for the apartment, I would pay for other things for the wedding. Or I took some of my savings to do the down payment on our home in Richmond because he was his money was tied up in the apartment that he owned on Long Island. But um, the minute we got engaged, I would say we pretty much merged everything, and the money was all one pot. I'm really curious about this because I mean, I know the, the kind of the inevitable tide that was me pressing Danny to kind of take advantage of this economies of scale that we, you know, in the way that we could leverage our combined incomes. I'm just curious as you guys really transitioned, I think you probably had the benefit of both being the natural savers. So you kind of both probably had that innate trust built into what decisions the other person was going to make. There's a little contrast here that you may have picked up with me and Danny. It'll become more clear as we go down this episode that we are, you know, she is the frugal saver without maybe a, a purpose or a plan for it. And I am the, would probably be the rabid spender if I didn't have the purpose or the plan. So that, that we're kind of in a different place. What about from your end? I would say for us, both being frugal and naturally saving, it was pretty harmonious. I don't remember us having too many arguments or discussions about, hey, you want to spend on this and I don't or vice versa. You know, we came down here to Richmond and picked out our house together on a whirlwind weekend where we looked at probably, I don't know, 15 houses in two days and picked the one that fit everything we needed without, you know, going crazy trying to look at 30 more houses in two more days. So, um, Things like that, we kind of naturally agreed on most large expenditures, even smaller ones. I would say that's one way in that we've been very lucky over the 15 years or however long it's been that um, we naturally agree on probably 98% of financial things we've talked about. That's incredible. That, that really is. That's kind of like its own superpower right there. True, true. <laughs> we'll take it, right? All right. So I think it's time we'll move on to question number two from Michelle. And Michelle asked, what does a typical day in your life look like? How do you spend your time? How much do you get to spend with Jonathan? How much is he working you know, nonstop on Choose a Vie? And also, if you could contrast it with your life as a full-time teacher, now that you're a stay-at-home mom with your son. Okay. My life a year ago looked incredibly different. I was a teacher and taught at collegiate. I was a third grade teacher and my day was hectically busy. It's busy today, very busy. It's actually quite amazing how you can fill up the pockets of your day and it looks as busy in a different entity. So today, I would say I have the luxury and the blessing of being able to be with my son. I meal prep on a Sunday to eliminate the time spent in the kitchen throughout the week so I can use those pockets of time. So in the morning, our cup of coffee is our go-to and we will wait and have kind of skip breakfast and have a later lunch. But that allows that morning walk with my family. So I have 
encouraged Jonathan to be a part of that morning walk. Our son loves the nature. And I have read various articles, both when I was in education and out of it, that kind of allude to the importance of that time spent outside with your kiddos, roughly 30 minutes in minimum a day with your kiddo. I want that. And I've made that a priority in our life. And as a result, do the meal prepping to eliminate the time spent in the kitchen and spend time with my family where I can on walks outside. So I guess before our son, I would naturally say that there was this part of me that was selfish, (laughs) selfish in a different way. I have now attempted to pick up a side hustle, narration. It is a lot of time. It's been grueling. And the harder part of it has been to try to balance keeping our son at the forefront of my day and knowing that I love to spend time with him. So doing that narration in the pockets of time where he is sleeping. Now that's changing rapidly. It's changing right now as we're getting ready to drop a nap. But I have been able to pursue the narration as well as jump in to choose a fire a little bit more. You might have noticed that the community might have noticed that I am doing more of the emailing and kind of the scheduling for them. And I've enjoyed that to be able to see what these guys do and appreciate what Jonathan does. And then the pockets that are remaining, the narration and taking a large advantage of the fact that we have a son that is napping and uh, that nighttime nap, being able to go into the studio as such and narrate in the evenings and do the editing as well. So when she says narration, she's actually doing audiobook narration. This is the side hustle that we can talk about at a later point. I actually helped her create this soundproof closet. I mean, you can imagine both of us, and you you get this as well, Brad, are working in an atmosphere where sound and sound quality is very important. And we all, we all have kids and those kids can have varying degrees of noisiness. And that can sometimes, there can be some conflict there between <laughs> the quality of your work and how much fun your kids are having. So uh, we built her a, a, we turned a closet, an empty closet closet. Uh, well, now it's empty into the sound room where she can actually get some of this work done. But man, I don't know how, how she ever had time for a job with the different things that she's focusing on. She wakes up and then between what she's putting in, the time she's putting into our son, the time she's putting into choose a fire and the time she's putting into her side hustle, the day is gone. Yeah, I certainly hear you. And that, that actually kind of segues perfectly into, I wanted to ask Laura the same question, which is what does a typical day in your life look like? And note any of these kind of five hacks that you really typify so perfectly. Okay. So for nine years, a typical day in my life was being home with my two kids and taking care of them. But, um, this past year, our little girl went off to kindergarten. So my life has changed a lot these past nine months than it was the nine years prior to that. I have more free time than I can ever have imagined having, you know, for the past nine years, you can't even imagine having two free hours to yourself kind of when you're home with kids. But now I have about seven hours each day. So it's been, um, you know, not a struggle, but trying to figure out exactly what I want to do at that time. So a typical day, I'd say, you know, we get the kids on the bus at 745 and then we come back here. We have breakfast. The rest of my day kind of involves volunteering at the school, which I'm very involved up at the kids' school, whether it's being there physically to help in different aspects, or I am the treasurer of the PTA. So that involves a lot of work at home to keep up with that, writing checks and balancing all the books for them and everything. So that keeps me pretty busy. I also have, of course, lots of errands, as everyone knows, the bank, the grocery shopping, everything like that. That takes up time. I like to cook. So as we've talked about, and I'm sure we'll hit on later, some days I will cook and that might be me batch cooking. So staying in the kitchen for two or three hours and doing my one of my big meals. 
I also will walk with a friend or go have coffee with a friend as a way to stay in touch with friends and kind of a fi way to see friends instead of going out for an expensive lunch. I have a lot of friends that I'll just walk around the neighborhood with. So that's nice. There's also just keeping up with the day-to-day life with having two kids that are in school. And anyone who has multiple kids in school will understand that. There's just constantly forms to fill out and permission slips to turn in and book fair orders to submit and just so many things that if someone's not doing it, it won't ever get done. And it does take a considerable amount of time. Um, When the kids get home from school, you know, they're doing homework. But now that we live in this new neighborhood, we take a lot of bike rides and they love it. We're riding as a family pretty much every day, depending on the weather, of course. But now we've also started going back to the pool. The pool has opened and everyone's heard about our family's love for the pool. (laughs) So both girls are there every day now for a practice in the evening. Kind of gives our after school time a real routine. So we might have an hour after school to relax and do homework and then back and forth shuttling to the pool and having dinner. Oh, church run pool. I'm sure membership is going up this year. <laughs> <laughs> Last year was the first time they ever reached their uh, family membership limit. So yeah, there might be something to it. <laughs> that is amazing. That's absolutely fantastic. And that sounds like an incredibly busy day. It also sounds like for many people, something that they would aspire to. I mean, it just, it's very cool to see it all come together. A lot of times you, you have individuals saying things like, I just don't know what I would do if I didn't have to go to work. I would be so bored. And I think the theme that I feel personally, and I'm curious, Laura, in particular, if if you can relate to this is, I don't know how I ever had time for a nine to five. Yes, I definitely see what you mean with that. I have not had a moment really of boredom since she's been in school now for nine months. It's hard to believe. And I also have not had a single minute where I've turned on the TV, which is also hard for people to believe. But I'm not a TV watcher and especially not a daytime TV watcher. I just don't value anything that's on the TV then. So there's always something. I mean, there's even days where I've got a list of eight things I want to do and I can't get them done. And, you know, it might be I'm trying to take a walk in the afternoon and I just can't get around to it because of all the other things. And it's just life. There's a lot of things that need to be done to make a family run and to make everything happen that everyone wants to happen. And yeah, we certainly spend time together too, which is fantastic. Every, pretty much every single day we have lunch together from 12 to one and just kind of sit and chill and talk, or we'll sit outside in our new front porch and read a book or, or some such yesterday we took a walk before we picked the girls up for the bus. So there are lots of these little pockets of time where we can spend together, which we know how fortunate we are. Obviously, that's one of the real benefits of Phi is our busy is a very privileged busy, right? It's easy to say, Laura and I both feel that we're busy. And I think if we had to describe our lives, it would, unfortunately, that word would certainly be in one of the, the top 10. But it's a different kind of busy. My busy is I'm going to CrossFit today and that's an hour and a half round trip, right? Or I'm sitting and talking with my wife and we're doing Ken Ken puzzles or some such. So we understand what kind of position this is, but I think Laura's right. There are just a ton of things that it takes to keep a family running and she just does a marvelous job at it. I mean, I, I do really zero. I, that's just not my forte at all. And she is a master at it. So Laura, I'm curious, you know, as you guys look at your budget or rather your, how you allocate your money, what percentage of that is spent on 
the kid stuff. And this is a question that Kirsten asked in particular, wanting to know about birthday parties, toys, extracurriculars, you know, basically this discretionary stuff you wouldn't need if you didn't have children. And how do you budget for that over the long term? Well, as people say, most people think kids can be expensive, but kids don't have to be that expensive. Things like birthday parties, our older daughter is having a birthday in two weeks and she's having a party at the pool. It's really very economical. It's about it's $2.50 actually for each guest. So she has 10 girls and it's $25. We always make our own cupcakes and stuff for parties. So you're talking the whole party is probably $40, even if I get a little trinket for them to have as a favor. Things like that. You know, we have had some birthday parties that are more expensive than that. But um, I just don't look at the places that offer $300 birthday parties. And I look at the places that offer $150 birthday parties because to me, the party is just as much fun. It doesn't matter if it costs 300 or 150. But also regarding kids and the budget, we don't per se have a budget. We don't sit down and say, we're spending $4,000 on food, say in this calendar year or whatever, $4,000 on kids' expenses. In that way, like FI does not rule our life. We kind of buy what we need and what we value and we buy it when we need it. And we've always been on the same page about this. So there are many things we just don't, value at all, cars, fancy clothing, jewelry, purses, home decor, cell phones, technology. To me, the savings on these things is astronomical and adds up month after month. So in terms of sitting down to set a budget on other things like our kids' extracurriculars, it doesn't matter if someone decides to take one extra art class per year for $90. It doesn't really you know, move the needle very much because we've already saved so much money on other things that if one of our daughters wants to take an art class. She takes an art class. All right, Danny. So same question for you. What percent of your budget is spent on kid stuff? Obviously, your son is is a year, so this is fresh in your mind. And yeah, I'm curious to hear how your thinking and your budget has changed since your son was born a little over a year ago. So we're newbies. And so we obviously don't have the experience that you had. And so I loved listening to Laura and saying, you know, if if her kid needed something for an art class. Because they had saved and been more frugal in another area, she got to do that. I would love for that to be us too. Danny, one of the things that's been really impressive to me is how you have really taken up this idea of the buy nothing groups. And while I would have imagined that many people find themselves always buying you know, the latest item that whatever ad tells them they need, you've just done some really creative things. And Frankly, we borderline have too much stuff and most of it you've gotten for free. Yes. So we have a buy nothing group in our area and have thoroughly enjoyed being a part of that because it is not about the taking. It's about how you can give and in giving receive. So one of the things that I've enjoyed is starting to look for things for our son there. We've got and been very blessed to have a lot of secondhand clothes that have come from other families who have said, you know, hey, I've got 18 to 24 month clothes. Would there be any families that would take these? As you know, with kids, they are in clothes for a very short period of time and then grow like weeds out of them. And so a lot of these clothes have been used, but rarely barely used. I mean, I look at some of his outfits and can probably remember two times he's worn them and he's grown out of them. And so I hope to do the same for others providing them with the luxuries we've had as well. And that that falls into the toys as well. But I continue to be amazed in the short term how he might have a bunch of toys to the left and still be 
absolutely ensconced with the brown box to the right. And that has been something that I continue to laugh at and smile at and saw with my kids in the classroom as well. I know being an educator that kids remember experiences. You can throw the content at them all you want, but they love and will remember the experiences that you provide, the smile, the laughter in the classroom. And that's what I want to provide for our kiddos. Danny, I love the buy nothing groups. I think that is a really cool kind of mom hack. And I know we, we actually had someone ask a question, tell us about any mom hacks you have. And I actually want to throw it over to Laura now because she has some real amazing ones as far as she's not part of a buy nothing group, but she has amazing ways to get clothes and presents for kids' birthday parties and things like this at just a fraction of the cost. And I'm just always amazed. So yeah, Laura, I'd love to have you tell the audience really your actionable tips on on how you save so much money this way. Okay. This is also one of my hobbies is always finding a great deal on whatever it is we need, whether it's birthday presents or kids' pants or shoes. So I enjoy looking around and finding ways to kind of optimize this in our life. I'm basically always buying things on sale. Even when the kids don't need new sneakers, if I'm in Target and the sneakers are all buy one, get one half off, I buy them each a pair. I get a pair that I know they'll like, that are in the next size up, and they go in the closet until they need them, whether it's two months later or eight months later. But that way, when we do need sneakers, I'm not going out and buying them full price. They're right there. And we just go grab them. Another thing I've noticed is people who, so I also always buy the sneakers at Target, usually. Our pediatrician told us years ago that the champion brand they carried were great for kids' feet and perfectly good. So we went there, we liked them, and we bought them. But I have plenty of friends who tell me, oh, yeah, my kids, when they went, they only liked these sneakers. And they're the $60 Nike or whatever they are. Well, my kids don't come shoe shopping with me. They don't really have a choice, and they don't care. They're very happy with what I pick. Therefore, they're not in the store seeing the shiny, fancy, light-up $60 sneaker they see the the sneaker I've picked out that's in the closet, ready to go, that are $25 for a pair. So when I get buy one, get one half off, I'm getting two pairs for the girls for $38 total. It's just little things like that that I think add up. Same thing with their clothing. If they see a bathing suit they love and it fits perfectly, it's a great price, great. It's very comfortable. I buy the next size up if it's on a super sale because they'll need it eventually. I actually love what Laura was saying about thinking ahead and purchasing things and putting them in the cupboard. So Jonathan, get ready because he knows that my downfall is that I like to actually buy things for other people if I am going to buy something. So (laughs) having to buy for our son is going to scare him maybe a little bit because he knows that's probably my my weakness. But no, no, it's your it's your love language, right? Oh, my love language, (laughs) gift giving. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) I can remember when I had our son. I got asked by a number of people, you know, what is Jonathan getting for you? Is there a piece of jewelry that you will like? I must be honest, that might have been the most interesting question I'd gotten because I didn't think that I needed anything other than having the gift of having a a son. But I haven't ever been passionate about that extra piece of jewelry or encouraged him to get me that piece of jewelry. Maybe it's a win for Jonathan. (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's very interesting because we go to, you know, we'll go to the mall occasionally or we'll be at some place that has, you know, like a case or you'll be driving in the car and you'll hear the endless supply of advertisements for the latest diamond ring. And I don't think it captured either of our imagination. It's just like this thing that people do and it's massive amounts of money and it's a non-factor in our lives. I don't know. I I mean, is that kind of mirror your own experience, Brad, Laura? We are the exact same. I mean, 
Brad bought me a few jewelry items back when we were dating. I would say that probably the engagement ring is the last thing he bought me now, 15 years ago. So I don't value jewelry. I don't value major expensive items like that. So I would kind of say in some way that we or Brad, you could say, is lucky. You know, we don't feel the need to ever splurge $1,000, $2,000 on some random piece of jewelry that I don't really want or value. And if I could jump in real quick, I, I always want to point out things to the audience when I hear like actionable tips. So one thing that Laura said a couple of minutes ago is I think one of the crucial pieces for why our kids cost so little in the grand scheme of things, like we don't think they bust the budget or anything crazy like that. And it's, it's because of what I guess I've learned is called simplicity parenting. So Liz from Frugal Woods, this is like her favorite book. And it's actually how we've been living our lives completely unaware that this was a thing. We don't give our kids a ton of choices. They live these wonderful, happy lives. They explore and play and do all these fun things, but we don't saddle them with, hey, come to Target with us and here are the 50 different choices. 48 of them cost $65 for kids' sneakers and the other two, which invariably they're not going to pick, those are the less expensive ones. But of course, when Laura goes by herself, she beelines to those less expensive ones. As long as there's one that looks nice, of course she buys it, right? And it's taking that that choice away. And this is not like a deprivation thing. I don't want anybody to, to think we're bad parents or anything. I look at it the opposite. It's we don't bother our kids with these choices that they really don't care about and they don't need to be involved in. And it just, it makes their lives easier and it makes our lives less expensive. So I think there's something to this. And again, you got to figure out what works for your life. But I think this is something that's really benefited us. Yeah, Brad, I think I have just gone ahead and put that one in our back pocket. And that is definitely something that I would love to emulate. You know, it's easy to see as we talk through some of these topics that FI and, and this kind of overall life optimization strategy spills over into every single aspect of your life. You can't silo it as just a 50% savings rate. Um, and Rick was basically pointing out that FI can be consuming. And especially to anyone that has an easily consumed personality, I'm going to point it myself here, uh, where and when and how, and Laura, this is directed at you, do you draw the line so you have tons of non-FI focused moments as couples, as parents, as families? What are your thoughts on that? I think this question is very interesting. And um, I alluded to this a little bit before, but basically we are not ruled by FI and we don't have this strict set budget that we stick to. We just kind of save money on the things that we have always saved money on. Like I said before, the cars, the cell phones. A big thing to me is technology. Everyone I know, they have an Alexa, they have iPads, they have a Blu-ray player, they have Kindles, and sometimes everyone in the family has one of, one of these things. We don't have these things. And most people have them because the family will buy an Alexa because, quote unquote, they could afford it. But who really needs an Alexa? People want one because most people want lots of new shiny objects, but I can't imagine why it would be needed and we just would we would never use it. So we just don't buy it. So by the time we've saved hundreds of dollars on all these technology items that we don't buy and clothing and purses and shoes and cars, we aren't too worried about the other stuff and we aren't having FI rule every aspect of our lives. We aren't skimping on everything we do. We're extremely generous giving to our kids school and spoiling their teachers and bus drivers. To us, these people play a huge role in our kids' lives and they should be treated as such. I've also seen people asking on the Facebook group sometimes about how to give a wedding gift when you're pursuing FI. 
To me, pursuing fight does not mean being cheap with big events or the important people in your life. To me, if you're plugging thousands of dollars into your investments, you can afford an average wedding gift, you know, at the same time. We give a generous wedding gift to any wedding we attend. These are not things we skimp on, in my opinion. We value giving to our community, outings with friends and family, and traveling, so that even if we can't use rewards points for every aspect of a trip, we still don't want to skimp and not take that trip. So we save on everything else I mentioned, and then we can afford to do things like give a nice wedding gift or get the rental car on the trip we're taking. Brad and I will go out to dinner, say, once a month or every six weeks or so when we have the grandparents here to babysit. This is not something either that is ruled by FI that, okay, we can spend, say, $40 on this dinner and that's it or else we break the budget. It's not like that. We don't have fancy palates and we don't really enjoy steak and lobster. So for us, the ideal night out is a busy restaurant during happy hour where we'll get a few beers and often share a bunch of appetizers. That's perfect for us. So again, since it's infrequent and it's something we value, we don't worry about whether it costs $30 because of the great happy hour specials that day or if it's $57 because there weren't great specials. Yeah, I think this is really important to us. Pursuing FI is not about being a miser or having this consume you and every second of every day is a FI life. To me, it's it's something that I've kind of quoted a lot of times here on the podcast, which is from Jocko Willink, discipline equals freedom. We have this discipline, if you will, of creating a framework of a life that just doesn't cost that much. So all of our fixed expenses, they just don't cost that much, right? We haven't bought a new car in 12 years. And even then that was a used car at at CarMax. So all these things, we just don't have the significant expenses. So that enables us the freedom to spend as we see fit. And I mean, this is really important. So like we come off as extremely generous to all of our teachers, like Laura's saying, when you go to weddings, like we are not the five misers who are those kind of weirdos that are giving $22.75 as a wedding present. That's not it, right? Because, oh, that was all that could fit in the budget. No, it's, we want to be generous. We want to spend as we see fit on the important stuff. And this kind of goes back to what Laura was saying before about our kids. If our kids want to take an art class or join soccer this year, let them do it. Of course, we never think about the hundred bucks or whatever it is that costs because that's how we've built our lives. So anyway, I, I think that's just kind of an important point to to really emphasize. And Danny, I want to throw it back over to you. This is a great question from Rick that it really can be consuming and especially when you're newer at it. So I think obviously you and Jonathan are newer on the path to FI than Laura and I are. So I'm curious if if your lives have changed dramatically in the couple of years that you've been pursuing FI and really what does your life look like on a five basis, if you will. So I have a couple of funny stories to share. Jonathan is definitely the all-in kind of guy. And I am being the more A-type, try to find that balance. And I would say out of the two of us, have an easier time finding the balance. I'll kind of take us back to one of our first summers as we were journeying on this five. (laughs) He's uh, rubbing his forehead already. We had his brother come and stay with us. We were traveling to see my parents and, again, blessed to be able to take the trip and go to Southern Africa. And his brother had agreed to come, and it was summer, and as you know, in Richmond, it, it, it gets hot and quite humid. Jonathan went to the store and, don't know actually the name, the terminology with this device, but purchased a device where he could set up the heating in the house and control the heating in the house and attempt to save money. 
Jonathan's poor brother did not know what he signed up for. Jonathan went around the house, shutting off each device in an attempt to get this device to zero. It was unbearably hot, to the degree where when I asked his brother how his evening had been, (laughs) he said that he had spent five minutes with his feet underneath the faucet. (laughs) (laughs) And I was so incredibly embarrassed (laughs) and said to Jonathan, okay, I am putting my foot down. I have had enough. (laughs) (laughs) All right. A little context. You got to blame Mr. Money Mustache for this one. So you had this article talking about how you could get rid of vampire electricity bills and get all of your electricity under control. And you had a little device that you could hook up to your electrical outlets to find out, you know, exactly how much electricity was being used at any particular point. I bought it based on that recommendation and I was slowly trying to get my electric bill down to zero. And I would unplug each device one at a time, turn off all the lights one at a time. And frankly, I just couldn't get it to zero without shutting off the breaker. It was driving me insane. At some point though, as part of this continuation of that, I decided to start exploring our heating situation and really try to push the comfort zone. I think that's something LT advocates is, you know, this kind of implementing a little bit of stoicism. And so for this two or three week period, I was all in on moving up what our normal level was. And yeah, I think my brother took the took the uh, hit on that one. So as you can hear, we have grown a bunch as a couple. So Brad, back to your question about, you know, how has this looked? <laughs> we, we're growing. Uh, there are times where I come in and we'll say to him, okay, it's couch time tonight. We have a terminology in our house called couch time where it's just couple time without our kiddo. And I'll say to him, tonight, we're not discussing anything about money. <laughs> or anything about choose FI. I'm not even allowed to. Uh, yeah. No choose FI. <laughs> that must kill him. I can't even imagine like the shakes. Do you have to lock the phone away? Thanks, so- Brad. Appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Slowly throwing him under the bus. So it's one of his things. He's, he loves technology. And so I benefit tenfold in many respects, but that's where we balance each other out. There are times where I can be a little bit of a Debbie Downer and uh, need some encouragement to perk up and live life a little bit and not go by the straight black and white. And he comes in with enthusiasm, as I'm sure the community knows, and is able to throw energy at anything. And so that balance comes to mind, Brad, you know, where you kind of in your day picking and choosing what's important to you and finding that balance is definitely something we're continuing to strive for and and important to know that it's not going to be perfect every day. Can you think of an instance where Jonathan was going all out and you kind of pulled him back from the abyss other than this uh, crazy in the middle of summer shutting everything off? Yes. In all honesty, that same enthusiasm that can be beneficial in our marriage, can lead him down a rabbit hole, can be pursuing kind of impulse buys. One thing that we've both picked up from the Frugal Woods episode is a 72-hour rule and something that being inclined not to spend is I've encouraged Jonathan to think through an impulse buy. That 72-hour rule has definitely benefited our family and stopped some of those impulse buys. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've you know found out about myself and in large part due to having the show and talking about these concepts over and over again and being introduced to new strategies is that at least for me, that all in nature that I have is it. And I think many people can identify with this. It's the, it's the getting more than the having that, that dopamine, you know, hit that you get is from the actual purchasing the product. It's not actually from just enjoying what you have. 
And that's a problem because that can send you down, that can send you to a very dark place, especially if you don't put any restrictions on that. The 72 hour rule has been hugely beneficial in slowing that down. And, you know, I'm still the same person and I still have the same wants and tendencies, but using strategies and going back to the episode that we had maybe a month or two back with David Kane and Alin talking about putting in place red carpets to enable behaviors that you want and putting in velvet ropes to slow yourself down from the behaviors that are causing damage, maybe to yourself as a person or to your relationships. That's been a really big and useful tool for me, both from a consumption perspective with the purchasing of stuff and also from a health perspective with the consumption of food. Yeah. And Jonathan, I I don't want this to be an entirely, let's uh, all pick on Jonathan episode by any means. Obviously, Laura and I have differences as well. I mean, we're we're much, much, much more similar than different, but I think we both would admit I'm more of the spender in, in the family, which is kind of funny, which actually speaks to really how frugal Laura is. But she jokes that if Tim Ferriss comes out with a recommendation, I'm sitting there with my finger over the uh, buy button. So there are definitely ways that she kind of pulls me back as well. Tribe of Mentors got released on Monday. You had it how many days later? <laughs> I, I think I had it on Monday because I, I pre-ordered, <laughs> pre-ordered. it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's all a matter of degree, right? I'm certainly not spending a ton of money, but even just with our new house now, I, we feel even though it's it's buying items for the house, we felt like we've been spending more than we're comfortable with. So we're actually kind of doing like a 14-day no buying challenge. So no kind of crazy discretionary things. We're just not buying anything. And it's actually been really interesting. You know, I want to give actually a shout out to Danny on this because I am always finding a a new challenge or something that I want to try. I want to stretch myself, you know, and I got to say that that has been honestly one of the things I've appreciated appreciated about you the most is just your willingness to humor me and not just humor me, but in many cases, participate with me. I mean, this wasn't your idea. It's not something that you feel compelled to do or would do on your own, but you're like, you know what, if you're doing it, Jonathan, I don't want to just, I'm not just going to be over here on the sidelines. I want to do it with you. And that has put you in some uncomfortable places as well. And I think sometimes you look back and you say, well, that was a waste of time. But other times you look back and you say, we're better for it, right? Absolutely. A word of advice that my parents had given me before we got married is just warning me not to want to change the other person, but to look at their personality and their character traits and see the positive in it and kind of adapt accordingly. So I thought a great question for this particular conversation would be to highlight that inflection point where we left our jobs, because there's obviously a lot of transition built into that decision. And Ben asked specifically to you individually, what were your initial responses when your quote unquote dopey, sorry, Brad, couldn't resist husbands told you that they were going to start a finance podcast. And Brad, since you got thrown under the bus for this first, why don't we let Laura answer the question? Laura, what was this like? So I know that for Brad, it wasn't, he didn't leave his job to start Choose FI, but this was a huge decision. And at the time, I can't imagine that you knew a ton of other people that were doing this. So it wasn't necessarily an obvious choice. What was that transition like? What was going through your mind when he brings that idea home? So let me go back to when Brad actually left his job, which I guess is about three years ago now, a little more. It was very scary. It was, I wouldn't say I freaked out because I knew we had kind of talked about it and it had been brought up a few times. But when the final decision was made, like I'm going to give my notice next week, 
it was it was pretty frightening. You know, a nine to five job that was only 10 minutes away from home with a nice salary and great benefits, like a good health insurance plan and a 401k match. That's a lot. It's a lot to walk away from. So it was it was frightening. At that point, we weren't at FI. You could say we had a good amount of FU money, as the community talks about. So that's what made it possible and doable for us. We knew that even if his entrepreneurial adventures didn't pan out as he expected, we had definitely a year or two that he could work at it and we'd be comfortable before we'd have to even think about him going back to a traditional nine to five job. Obviously, it worked out and it was the best decision we ever made. He's so much more relaxed. He's overall just so much happier. You know, the job he had was just not intellectually stimulating at all for him and very repetitive and boring. So now he's just doing what he loves every single day. He's working with people, talking about finances, talking about traveling and taking credit card reward trips. And that's what he's been passionate about really since I've known him is is finances and traveling. So um, to see him being able to do what he loves and help other people do it every single day has been amazing. Yeah, Lori, I mean, that's definitely a, a good background on on kind of where we were. But it, just to be clear, we I think in your mind's eye, and this actually really speaks to the question, which was you were extremely nervous about this, which is why in your recollection, we were not as far along on the path to FI as we actually were, albeit a lot of that money was tied up in 401k accounts, right? So in your mind's eye, we would have been okay for a year or two, but that was without any advanced FI strategies. I mean, we were well along the path to FI at this point. But I think, again, that speaks to the nervousness and that's perfectly understandable. So I did want to just quickly pick up and say, since the question was actually about like the Choose a FI podcast, I think that background was important. But like, what did you think when I came to you and said, Hey, I'm doing a podcast with this guy, Jonathan, who I met a day ago, essentially, you know, like <laughs> I'm so interested in the answer to this question. Cause I still don't know why Brad said yes. That's a good question. I do remember him telling me that. And that I think he had met you for lunch or coffee once or twice. I thought, why not? I mean, why not give it a shot? I thought who knows if it'll actually pan out into something that is that they try for maybe, you know, three weeks and, and doesn't go anywhere or who knows. But I thought, to him, I remember saying, like, you should try this. I mean, you love talking about finances. That is what you love to do. You love to tell people your ideas on finances. You love to hash it out with someone else. So that I thought was a fantastic idea. I just I had no idea how it would actually work out, but I thought it was a pretty good idea. Danny, what about what about you? So we had a lot. I mean, this this question really coming back to us that there's a there's a lot of uncertainty going into this past year. I we were not as far down the path as Brad and Laura were when we made this fully funded lifestyle decision with air quotes behind it right now. But just to put some context in place, you know, you had made the decision with the birth of our son to step away from your job, from your very safe, very good job, and have that year with him. I had started the podcast, but it was totally, my parents were listening and a couple of friends. We didn't have any proof that this was going to be a really big thing at this point. And while that kind of started to shift relatively quickly, it was just me telling you how awesome it was and how awesome it was going to be. There was really nothing else to support that at that point. And then you hear me start kind of walking it down saying, you know, I think maybe at some point I could leave my job and maybe five or six years from now, this could be a full-time thing that I could work on. And then at some point I'm like, well, maybe two years and then maybe one year. And then, you know, it come, it basically hits the wire. And I was like, I can't do my job anymore. This just isn't going to work out. I need to leave. 
like what's going through your mind as you kind of start to see the tea leaves on where my mindset is? To say I was skeptical would be putting it nicely and not really mentioning the emotions and the kind of the inner turmoil that I did have, I will be honest. Not to mention I had just had our son and so was probably battling with the hormone and the hormonal side of things too. I weighed everything out. I don't actually think I verbalized this to Jonathan, but I actually did write a checklist. I had a pro and a con list that I had on my own quietly without mentioning anything to him. I had realized that I did have a lot of emotions attached to it. And kind of as I heard the question repeated today, realize how fresh the scar kind of feels. It was terrifying. But the thing that got me through it was watching my husband love what he was doing. There were times where I did question our choice. Uh, As you know, my husband did stay attached to pharmacy and then dropped the pharmacy as they got further into the podcast. So there was a time where the podcast was going on and he was balancing pharmacy. I watched my husband's work ethic. I watched him trying to balance pharmacy and his passion project. And I watched him doing it well at times, but at other times coming up for air and barely making it. And the biggest turning point for me, I think I can remember him changing our oil and leaving the cap off of the top of the oil filter and realizing that my husband didn't do things like that and being reminded, why were we doing this? You know, why were we trying to balance both when it was clear he was passionate about this one side, this podcast. But I did have the advantage of deep down knowing we had paid off our student debt. And I do use the terminology our because we were living it. I might have not come into our marriage with it, but we were living it together. And as a result, the impact of that debt was on me as well. So that was the two things. One was watching my husband come alive when he talked about this community, when he talked about this passion. And the other was seeing him not wanting to go into work anymore. You know, emotionally and physically, for lack of a better term, depressed as he was heading in each day and seeing how much energy he had to pull to actually go in. And that's where I got on the phone with my mom and I talked it through with actually my mom with this pros and cons list. And I realized that this is an easy choice. Danny, that is so incredibly powerful. What a great, great answer. And it really is a a testament to the life that you guys are living over there, right? You've pursued this path to FI so significantly and cut your expenses so far down that that Jonathan was able to take this, this huge chance, really, right? And obviously leaving pharmacy was a big deal, but you'd done, as he says, the ground game was all set right? Like you did all the right things and you saw how it, how it just lit him up and how enthused he was about this podcast and this community. And I think we all owe you a huge, huge debt of gratitude because yeah, I mean, Jonathan, when he's full force on something, he is a, uh, you can't, you can't, you can't say force to be reckoned with now. Can you, Brad? No, I know I can't, I can't. (laughs) But he really is. He's a force of nature is what he is. So yeah, this has been, this has been amazing. So Danny, thank you. You're welcome.
Now, normally, that would be the end of the episode, but on this show, we would love to give you the chance to tackle the hot seat. Laura, Danny, are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm ready. In a world drowning in debt and rampant consumption, trapped by the chains of lifestyle inflation, these questions highlight the secrets of those who have broken free. Welcome to the Choose FI Hot Seat. All right, so Laura, I'll start with you. Question number one, your favorite blog? So I don't really follow too many financial blogs. I do occasionally read a little bit of Frugal Woods. I just love her writing style. And of course, I would maybe say Brad's Richmond Savers blog because teaching people how to go to Disney World for almost free is really, really fun and people really appreciate it. But the blogs I follow most are food blogs where I'm always trying to get my new recipes and increase our top 50 list, as everyone knows about, which I will probably hit on later in the hot seat. But I follow three food blogs, mostly um, Stay at Home Chef, Smitten Kitchen, and then one's called The Kitchen. And that's Kitchen without an E on that one. Those are my three favorites. Very nice. Danny, what about you? Your favorite blog? Adding a child to the mix has meant that my reading hasn't been what I would hope. So my blog reading has gone down. Uh, it used to be an educational mindset, and it's definitely now frugal words. I've enjoyed her writing just as Laura has. All right. Well, why don't we just circle back to you? Question number two, Danny, your favorite article of all time? Of all time is a, is a hard question, but... One that came to mind was Liz's article, Why and How I Became a Work-at-Home Mom. I think that's one of the things that I'm going through and living at the moment and something that I've appreciated reading. Okay, Laura, what about you? Even though I don't read many financial blogs, my favorite article of all time is from a financial blog, and that's Joel from 5180 when he wrote a letter to my 22-year-old self. It was actually a guest post that he wrote on the Fiery Millennials blog, I believe. But he also read it when he was interviewed on this podcast. I just think it's so incredibly powerful how he describes two situations, one, a life filled with luxurious objects, and one, a life of being stuck on the hamster wheel, doing the same thing every day with no way out, and how in the end, it really is the same life. To me, that's the whole Fi story right there, wrapped up. I remember reading that article to Danny when it got released as we were prepping to do that particular interview. And she just saying, holy crap, that's incredible. So I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Really, really good choice. All right, Danny, question number three, your favorite life hack. I've got to say with personality in mind, it's meal prep each week. I will usually prep about two to three different dishes and then divide those up into containers and stack them alternatively so that there's a kind of a level of surprise as to what's coming out of the fridge next. But with a 14-month-year-old and a husband who's podcasting. And I do say that because I have to keep as quiet as a mouse while he's podcasting. So to those people who asked, what's it like to have a kid in the mix while we're doing it, it has added a bit. It is a win meal prepping because I know there's always something to go to in the fridge. And so that aspect of time is hugely important to us and me and the biggest life hack. All right, Laura, what about you? Your favorite life hack? Well, mine is also pretty much revolving around meal prep. Just to not say exactly what Danny had said, I do also cook usually in batches, double and triple as most people know. But just some little tips, you know, 
I try to use up ingredients that are in the fridge. So one week I make a recipe that uses Greek yogurt and there's a third of the, of, of the container left. So next week when I'm planning, I look through my recipes and look for something that includes the Greek yogurt because why not? It's more financially savvy to use that instead of throw it out. Also, now that we're talking about meal prep and we're on the go now back and forth to the pool a lot and we'll start having dinner up there often, you know, there's ways to do that quite economically and quite easy. So what we do is I'll go and I'll get a rotisserie chicken from the grocery store. We'll cut that up. So when we go up to the pool, we bring dinner. I've got a Tupperware container filled with rotisserie chicken. I've got cheese and crackers and I've got carrots and hummus that I've bought at the store. We've got a meal that is, I'd say, overall pretty healthy, pretty inexpensive and easy to grab and bring on the go. All right. Well, I do have a follow-up question for you. Grocery wars. I want you to definitively answer with all the choices that we have here in Richmond from Sam's Club, Costco, Walmart, Target, I think is even trying to compete. I think we have Publix, Wegmans, Aldi's, and Lytle's. Who wins? Wegmans. You know that's my answer a million times over. Um, No, I do probably about 60 to 70% of my shopping at Wegmans. And then I would say the other 30 to 40% is Costco with a little bit at Walmart. But yeah, Wegmans takes the cake for me. Aldi's isn't doing it for you though, huh? No, I haven't. I have not loved the experience at Aldi's. Various reasons like, you know, I brought the graham crackers home from there once and my kids said they didn't really taste like the graham crackers they they liked. So they didn't eat them. Um, You know, I have bought some produce items there, but if I'm going there just for produce, it's like I'm going to go there and save maybe three bucks over what I might spend on the produce at Wegmans. So at that point, it's just not worth it. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And I think that's important also of how we live our lives. So this goes back to what I was saying before about Phi not ruling everything. So saving a dollar, literally, Laura's probably exaggerating with it, saving $3. It it might save pennies, 75 cents. Is she going to make a trip to Aldi's for 75 cents? Not if she values her time at anything. That's one thing I've actually tried to instill in her a little bit is like she would previously go to six different stores in a week and her time is really valuable and I don't want her spending it that way. Just like I tell you, Jonathan, I'd much rather you be sitting there playing with your son for an hour than doing some dopey thing on choose a five that like doesn't add a ton of value. Right. So it's, it's the same thing. Like I'm trying, not that I'm some teacher or something that I need to teach you guys how to live your lives, but this is important to me. I would much rather Laura be sitting on the rocking chair in our front porch, reading a book than going to Aldi to save 75 cents or going to the gas station three miles down the road to save six cents a gallon. Like to me, that's just such short-sighted myopic thinking. Your time has value. Don't waste it. Spend it on stuff that you actually want to be doing. You know, it's great advice. I hope that Danny, as she looks at, you know, the decisions that I've made and the time that I spend with our son and how I allocate my time, that she would say that she has seen that shift as I try to be more intentional with being present with my family. So it's certainly always a struggle when it's competing with choose F5, but um, I think certainly my heart is in the right place with that one. Danny, let's give you this next question. And frankly, I'm thinking it through and, and I don't know exactly what the answer is. Your biggest financial mistake. I can honestly say that I don't think I have lost an incredible amount of money, made a really large purchase that has left me guilty. I'm that inner frugal, I guess, a minimalist. So I guess if I were to be honest, I would say not being aggressive enough with my savings. I think that's it. One of the things that's interesting about us is because I would really say 
this period that she was at home, there really weren't opportunities for jobs at home. And maybe, maybe that's a limiting belief, but with a 90 plus percent unemployment rate, I think it's at least fair to put that out as a blanket statement. And then two, coming here as a student without having the high flying lifestyle, without having the car, the autonomy, you know, and really being unable to get a job because now you're here as a full-time scholarship athlete and there are certain restrictions on that. A so, visa, yeah. yeah. So now, now then post-school marrying me. And at this point you have this ultra optimizer dude that really can only make so much headway in his own personal life because he's got six figures of student loan debt, but is marrying you. And you're basically starting out with a blank slate from there even though maybe you had basically a, you had a net positive, but it wasn't a drastically net positive net worth. We kind of started making the right move. So I, I, I think, I don't think you've made any financial mistakes. No, I don't think so. That's amazing, Brad. We've got another one to add to the queue. Yeah. There was a, a joke to insert here. certainly about marrying Jonathan and his 168 K in debt. But, uh, <laughs> that was just low hanging fruit. That's it. That's definitely it. Time will tell. Time will tell. Laura, what about you? Your biggest financial mistake? So mine is not um, anything new because mine is obviously the same as Brad's, which if anyone remembers is some stupid land that we invested in 13 years ago in North Carolina that we are still paying for. It dropped, what, 80% in value, 90% in value from the peak when you bought it? Yeah, it's basically the worst thing that could have ever happened to us. It was ridiculous. But, you know, regardless, it's a good learning lesson. It was speculation. It was just utter stupidity. And we obviously paid for it. So it is what it is. But no more Bitcoin for you tomorrow. (laughs) 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 All right. All right. Question number five, Laura, advice you would give your younger self and not to not buy the property in North Carolina. Right. So Advice I would give my younger self would be to put as much in my 401k plan as I can. Because when I was young, younger and started out my first job as an accountant, I was making a decent salary and I was just putting 10% in as someone told me to do. And that was good advice. At least I put something in. But, you know, I was saving so much money then off my paycheck, just putting it into an online savings account, making very little interest. So I could have probably maxed my 401k and I just never would have thought of it. I had no idea what the benefits would be and I could have brought down my tax liability enormously and been getting walking away with major refunds and been in a much better position. And Danny, you? So when I think back to my childhood, I think of my dad and all that we did do. I would go fishing with him. He would pad me up and put me in the nets and play cricket with him. And they were memorable moments. He was on the sidelines growing up when... I played my sport and he was always there, always there with encouraging words. And then there was this time in my teens that it was no longer cool to spend time with your dad. And I know that many girls might go through this, but I realized the importance of relationships. And even more so, I realized the importance of not caring what others think or what others thought of me that prevented me from enjoying my relationship with my dad. So I guess what I'm trying to say is be a kid for as long as you can. And I think that curiosity ties in now to something that, you know, we've landed on or always trying to stress that love of learning, that love of exploring things that you're actually passionate about. It kind of, we've talked to some people recently that basically say there's a point in time where it kind of gets beaten out of you. Like people, the society tells you that there's no value to that. The point is just to get the grade, to get the job, to get the, you know, to, to live the dream. And I think it's it's a limiting belief. And so I, I love that you highlighted that. All right. Well, we do have a bonus question. Brad, why don't you go ahead and tee that up? All right. So Laura, I guess we'll start with you. So think back to like the last year or so. 
what purchase that that you or we have made has really added to your life in the most significant way? A smaller purchase that actually is from Amazon, and I know that's usually how the questions phrase on the hot seat, was a logic puzzle book we bought recently. If anyone out there likes logic puzzles and math, I really love the Ken Ken puzzles. You can get super wrapped up in trying to solve them. So we recently got a book and both of us find ourselves just wrapped up in these puzzles and then helping each other try to solve them. And they're really, really fun. And the bigger purchase, I guess, would be this new house that we bought. It was it has been an amazing lifestyle change for us. I mean, we are just loving every minute of being here in a neighborhood. Our old house was on a kind of on an island where there were just nine houses on this court and it was off a very busy road. So there was no going for walks, going for bike rides because of the busy road out there. And there were basically no kids on the block. So now, I mean, we are seeing friends almost on a daily basis, just when we go out for walks or go out for bike rides and we'll ride bikes up to the kids elementary school because it's that close, play on the playground and see friends there. And um, all four of us love it. I mean, the kids are absolutely loving it. And so are Brad and I. Danny, what about you? Um, I'm going to have to say I'll jogging running stroller uh jonathan tracked it for months on end on camel 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 and uh he ended up going ahead and getting it for i think as low as or as much as 50 percent off and the reason why it is such a great purchase for for me but also for us it's been the one guaranteed activity that we've done as a family daily and at the center of it is our running stroller that's cool. So two life hacks in there, right? You've got not only the stroller, but obviously camel, 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 which Jonathan has really brought to this audience and this whole community. So I know I use that frequently. And yeah, it's just a neat way of tracking prices on Amazon. So really, really cool, Danny. Danny and Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing kind of this behind the scenes look with our community. We're so appreciative. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the episode today. I hope you got value from the show and I hope you've been getting value from the episodes up to this point. If you want to support us and what we're doing here at Choose FI, here are four easy ways. One, leave us an iTunes review. If you want to do that, just go to choosefi.com slash iTunes. Two, use our page to sign up for travel credit cards. If you want to travel the world with miles and points instead of your hard-earned dollars, then just go to choosefi.com slash cards and get started today. Three, if you're working on the milestones of FI, set up a personal capital account to track your progress and use our affiliate link. It's completely free and just go to choosefi.com slash PC. P as in Paul, C as in Cat. And four, and most importantly, find your friends, coworkers, and family members who might be open to this message and tell them about the podcast. Have them start with episode 38, The Why of FI, and right behind that, have them go listen to episode 21, The Pillars of FI. It is a fantastic starting place. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time. All right, Danny, question number... Hold on. I had to literally hip-check my wife out of the way to get to the microphone. (laughs) Who knew these interviews could be so dangerous?